The Holy Gospel is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. This will serve as the basis for our meditation this morning. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And the devil took him into the holy city. He placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not test the Lord your God. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to him, I will give you all of these things if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him, and just then angels came and served him. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It was almost too easy in the garden. Satan barely had to try. All the tempter had to do was plant a little bit of doubt in their minds. Did God really say? Has God really said this? Did God really tell you this? He followed Eve's response, and her response was pretty good, but he followed that with the one-two punch of a confident yet completely baseless lie. A promise of access to some vague thing that God was holding back from them, that God was withholding from them. This God who had given them everything, created them with his own hands, given them life, and somehow God is holding something back from them, but they believe the lie. Next thing you know, creation's ruined, and Satan is cackling away. <laughs> he rejoiced. When guilt and shame and lies and blame and, and, and fear and everything that comes with it just rolled over Adam and Eve like a tidal wave. Oh, how Satan hated God. He didn't want to serve God. He didn't want to serve God's precious humanity. He wanted all the power, all the control for himself. And so he convinced other angels to rebel against God. And the consequence was they were tossed out of heaven into hell. Satan hated God so much that he looked for any possible way that he could get back at God for doing that. And he looked for a way to ruin the human beings whom God loved so much. They were so perfect. They reflected the image of God in every, every selfless thought they had, every, every loving word that came from their mouth, every encouraging action Everything reflected God's holiness in all that they did. But God had given them a single command. And this is just one. He only had to give them one. You may freely eat from every tree in the garden, but you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. You can eat from any tree in the garden, just not this one. Now God wasn't trying to tempt them to sin. Even Satan knew that. God was giving them the opportunity to show their love for God, to do so willingly, to do so unforced. 
to show I'm not going to eat that tree because I know that God loves me and I love him. So I will let him have that one. Satan would have to deceive them if they were going to disobey God. But you know, Satan's specialty is to take God's good creation and to twist it into something evil. And like we heard in Genesis 3, Satan defeated Adam easily. I mean, Adam stood there saying nothing. Sin entered the world through Adam and infected all people and it brought death to all. And the very real possibility that every one of us could go to hell to be separated from God and his love forever. And so it went. The children of Adam and Eve inherited the corrupt, sinful natures of their parents, and they passed those on to their children and to their children. No one could withstand temptation. It was almost too easy. Satan won victory after victory, child after child, person after person, adult after adult, individual after individual. I mean, he beat everybody. But it wasn't just sin against God that he got people to do. They actually rejected God. They lost their understanding of the true God. They worshiped created things or even worshiped themselves. And then, and then to make it even worse, there were times when they actually sided with the champion of lies, when they sided with Satan as opposed to God and his will. And what's sad is Satan was even able, even able to get God's followers to fall. He knew how to turn their sinful natures against them. He knew how to push their buttons. He knew where they were weak. He knew the chinks in their armor. He knew how to use their weaknesses against them. I mean, maybe you might recall their, uh, the sins of Noah and Abraham, Moses and David, and every other hero of faith. Because every hero of faith fell victim to temptation, as has everyone else. Every one of us. Yet no matter how hard he tried, no matter how many victories he won, no matter how successful he was against people, Satan could never defeat God. While he rejoiced that humanity had fallen into sin, that was a pretty big victory for him, the holy God looked him in the eye and said this. He will said this. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It wasn't just a threat, but this was an ironclad warning for the champion of lies. A Savior would come who would conquer Satan. A Savior would come who would destroy the awful friendship that Adam and Eve had established with the devil. Now, of course, Satan, hating God so very much, was going to try everything he could to make sure that God's promise went down and defeat would be ruined, and then finally he would be the victor. So walk through the Old Testament with me for a moment and see how close the golden line of the Savior of that promise came to being cut off forever. The number of believers actually dwindled down to eight people at the time of Noah. Only eight believers in an entire world full of people. Or the foolish, selfish decisions of people like Abraham or Judah or David or others endangered the Savior's line. Rulers and emperors threatened to wipe out the Savior's line and the people from whom that Savior would come. But always God won. Always the Lord would save His people. Always the Lord would preserve that line of the Savior. And there's nothing Satan could do about it. Now at times the Lord had to rescue his people from themselves. 
Sometimes they needed a broadside upside the head. Sometimes he had to call them to repentance, to turn from their sins and live. And then what was amazing is that when God would do that, sometimes they actually did. Sometimes they actually did repent. And all that frustrated Satan so much. No matter how hard he tried, no matter what strategy he came up with, and as we find out, Satan's just kind of a one-trick pony, so it's just variations of the same temptation. No matter what he did, no matter how cleverly he turned sinful, selfish, selfish, sinful natures against God and his people, no matter how hard he tried, the Lord of grace always prevailed. And oh, Satan just hated that grace. Kids of the school and preschool, what is grace? You can raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Nathaniel. Right. All right. We'll, we'll stop right there. Yes. Undeserved love. And there's much more we talk about that at school with our core values. But the fact is, is Satan hated God's grace, God's undeserved love for these sinners. For all these people that he had defeated, God kept showing them love. And so Satan waited to defeat that child of promise. He waited for the child to arrive. And when Christ arrived, Satan recognized his enemy. And so he tried to snuff out the little child, little Jesus, by having Herod try to kill him off. But again, God saved him. God kept winning. Now the first 30 years of Jesus' life were rather uneventful, but when Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness, God himself declared Jesus to be his chosen one, to be his champion, the one who's going to win. And so Satan wasted no time. So Jesus steps out of the waters of the Jordan River. I mean, he's still got water dripping on his head when he starts to make his way up into the arid, desolate Judean wilderness. He spends 40 days there facing temptation after temptation after temptation. And during that time, he fasts. He has water to drink, but the fact is, is he eats nothing for 40 days. He became physically weaker, as I imagine you and I would be pretty hungry after 40 days of not eating. God had taken on human flesh and allowed himself to endure the mortal weaknesses of being a human being. And in that weakness, Satan saw his opportunity. He saw maybe, possibly, there was an opening where he could get in there and finally defeat God in his plan once and for all. Now, at the end of those 40 days of tempting, Satan blitzed Jesus with three great big temptations. He recognized that Jesus was human. He recognized that Jesus was hungry, and so Satan pulled out his uh, Garden of Eden tactical guide. Like I said, he's a one-trick pony. It's just a variation of the same temptations. And he drew up a strategy. After Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now, little doubt had set Adam and Eve down a path to total defeat and destruction. Perhaps that little word, if, could do the job with Jesus. He had spent days out in the wilderness, constantly badgered by Satan with an increasingly empty stomach. Satan wanted him to think, oh, maybe you better take control of the situation. Help yourself just this once. Does your father really care about you? You know you, you are God. You can turn these stones into bread. Just this once. Just like that. That the foolish enemy forgot he was dealing with God himself. Our champion fended off the attack with the sword of the spear, with the word of God. 
Jesus said to him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. It is not food that preserves people, but God's life-giving word. Now Satan, he refused to give up, and so he launched his second attack, and he took Jesus up to the highest point of the Temple Mount, over 400 feet above the base of the Kidron Valley. Now if, if doubt wasn't going to bring down this Jesus, then surely a twisted version of his word would. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Come on, Jesus. Prove you're the Son of God. I mean, jump down and see if God is going to catch you down there. I mean, after all, that's, that's what your word says, right? Again, the enemy forgot who he was dealing with. He forgot he was dealing with God himself. Again, Jesus stopped Satan dead in his tracks with his word. It is also written, you shall not test the Lord your God. We are not to throw out common sense and put ourselves into danger and then expect God to rescue us from our own foolishness. Once again, the word defeated the devil. Satan had taken the body blows from the word of God from Jesus, but he's reeling and he's reeling here, but, but the fact is he wasn't about to give up. Hatred for Jesus burned too hotly inside of him. He would have to unleash the big gun this time. He would unleash a temptation that had brought down rulers, that had brought down pretenders who, who were tempted by power, who didn't realize the corruptibility, the corruptible power of power. So Satan took Jesus up to the top of a high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory and all their wealth and all of that. And, and he, he made him a simple offer. I will give you all of these things if you will bow down and worship me. It's this simple. You can set aside all the pain, all the hardship, all the suffering, all the work, even death. You can even set aside the cross for power and luxury and prestige and comfort and glory if you simply worship me. Just this once. Just bow down and worship me. And, and if you do that, then you can, I'll give you all of this. Much like he had done with Adam and Eve, this was a bold-faced lie. I mean, Satan has nothing to give, nothing to offer except guilt and misery, death and hell. Only God, only God possesses all those things, and only God alone grants those things. Well, how do you defeat a big gun? You defeat a big gun with an even bigger gun. And Jesus smashed Satan's attack with a single quote from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. He said, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Our champion prevailed. In defeat, Satan slinked off into the darkness to lick his wounds and to get ready for the next time he would attack Jesus. But the fact is, is all along, victory belongs to our God. All along, Satan didn't get it. He failed to realize that he was attacking not just a godly human or a human being with divine qualities. He was attacking Jesus who is truly human and truly God. No matter how hard he tried, Satan could not possibly defeat Jesus the way he had defeated Adam and Eve because Jesus is our champion. 
Satan failed to see that. He, he was so blinded by his hatred for God, so blinded by the, his love for it, the foolishness of sin, so blinded by his rebellion against God that he completely missed why Jesus had come in the first place. Yeah, Satan knew that there was suffering and there was death coming for Jesus, but he didn't realize that the more Jesus endured from him, the greater Jesus' victory was for us. It never dawned on him that the more he attacked Jesus, the greater Christ's ultimate victory. He saw Jesus as weak and helpless. When in reality, Jesus would crush the serpent's head by his own death and stand victorious by his own rising from the dead. So often we fail to see Jesus for who he really is. We'd love to have Jesus be a great model. I mean, you'd love to read this account and go, okay, three, we could have a sermon that's all about the three easy steps for you to avoid temptation and fight back against the devil for you and your ability to do that. But Jesus didn't come to be a great model or a great example. Jesus didn't come to be a superhero. You know, someone who's human like us, but he's got divine qualities, who gets us out of tough jams, but just kind of lets us do whatever we want when we're not in a tough jam. That's not the champion we need. We don't need an avenger. We need the champion named Jesus. You and I need a champion who knows you and, and knows how you fail to stand up to Satan's daily temptations. You need a champion who knows how you're tempted to doubt God's word and will to put your needs, your wants, your priorities before God. You need a champion who knows how you're tempted to buy into the bold-faced lie that promises that you can be like God or have what God has if you just do what your sinful nature, the sinful world around you tells you to do. You need a champion who knows how you're tempted to foolishly test God with little regard for your future or for the consequences. How you're tempted to sacrifice everything, even your Christian faith to satisfy the longings of your sinful heart. You need a champion and so do I a champion who knows you and who knows me. And that's the champion who came for you and me, for us, the defeated one. Jesus came to set aside his own power and glory to be where you're at, to face what you face, to endure his own strength-sapping struggles against temptation, and to finally stomp on the head of that foolish snake, that foolish devil, to set you free from Satan's power, from sin's betrayal, from the terror of death. Jesus came to be holy because you could not. Jesus came to overcome temptation. So by faith, there will be times you can overcome Satan's temptations, but more importantly, when you fall, he has forgiveness for you. Jesus came to stand victorious with Satan crushed under his feet, under his heel, so that you could stand with him victorious someday in the glories of heaven. That's the champion you need to deal with one of your greatest needs. That's the champion that God promised to our first parents. And that's the champion God sent for us. The champion whom Satan failed to defeat. That's the champion who in weakness crushed Satan's power by withstanding every temptation. That champion came to save you and someday you will stand with that champion in the glories of heaven. My friends, that champion is your Savior Jesus. Amen.